was to be a call to worship. And so we see first of all in Daniel chapter 3 a decree. A decree from King Nebuchadnezzar which is everybody's got to fall down and worship my image. What's interesting about this first section if we look through verses 1 through 15 there is a phrase that is used nine times eight times in this first section and one more in the next section and that phrase is set up for some reason the author wants us to really focus and clue in that what Nebuchadnezzar has done is he has set up this image. We must remember that in a predominantly oral culture, repetition was a strategy used to help for the sake of learning and emphasis. So what is it that he's emphasizing here? What is the author emphasizing? I think for us to understand why he continues to use this phrase, set up, when referring to King Nebuchadnezzar in this image, we, to understand that we actually have to go back to chapter 2. You remember in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. No one can figure out the dream in his kingdom. But then they call on, or Daniel says, let me get to the king and let, tell, let me tell the king his dream and the interpretation. So Daniel prays about the dream and its interpretation. And the Lord reveals the dream and its interpretation as a result of God answering that prayer for the revelation of the dream Daniel goes into a praise and in Daniel chapter 2 verse 21 he praises God he says God you are the God who, who changes times and seasons and removes kings and here it is sets up kings same word in the Hebrew, is used there, that's used here in chapter 3. The author wants us to see clearly that in what's happening in chapter 3, the, 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 the building of this statue is in direct conflict with the sovereign power of God. Nebuchadnezzar has set up this statue that glorifies him and celebrates him. Nebuchadnezzar has clearly failed to grasp the reality that Yahweh is sovereign and he alone is worthy of worship. And as we know, the, this decree to fall down, the bowing down and worshiping of this statue, this image, in image is outright idolatry. And beloved, let me put a pin right there in the story and saying that this is the heart problem of the human condition. John Calvin said, the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us is, from his mother's womb, expert in inventing idols. 
And though we like to identify with the three Hebrew boys in this story, if the truth be told, and I'm going to tell it, we actually need to identify with Nebuchadnezzar first. Because we are idol factories. And the problem with idols today is that they are much more implicit and respectable. See, the idols that we need to tear down today are idols like comfort, convenience, and consumerism. Oh, I'm preaching up in here. We've even seen our idols exposed through this pandemic. Well, let me deal with the first idol. Let me make all, all you, you uh, well, never mind. Let me make a lot of people <laughs> mad. We, we've seen the idol of personal liberty exposed. Ah, I ain't scared of y'all. Beloved, my heart breaks at the number of Christians in this mask debate have elevated their own personal liberty over Jesus' command to love your neighbor. We've seen the idolatry of security. It's been exposed through fair lows, unemployment, businesses shutting down. And beloved, the truth be told, we like Nebuchadnezzar have set up idols. As we move forward in the story, verses 8 through 12, we see a plot against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 8 says, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. More than likely, they salty. Because these exiles, these Jews have come in and now they have position of leadership in Babylon. We learned that at the end of chapter 2. And here's what they say to the king. They say, oh king, these Jews, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And the, so the king, he calls the three Hebrew boys to give an account for this accusation. And he tells them if they fall down and worship the image, then all is well and good. But if you do not, he says, you will be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. Here's what I think I, we need to see from this. The world demands our allegiance. They don't want us just to tolerate their beliefs and practices. They don't just want us to give in from time to time. They want total conformity to their worldview, their ways. So after telling the Jews that they will be thrown into this fiery furnace for their disobedience, he asked this question. And who, it, verse 15, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar is smelling himself he is convinced that he is the most powerful person in the universe as religious as he is he doesn't believe that there is any person or God that can save them out of his hands and so the question 
for the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is in the midst of the pressure to conform, will they join the world? The question for us is the same. With the pressure to conform, will we join the world? Let's see. We see, first of all, the decree. Let's look, secondly, at the defiance. Verses 16 through 18, the defiance. As we look at the scene of their defiance, the first thing we have to take note of is their confidence. The three Hebrew boys respond to the king beginning in verse 16. They say, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Oh, that's bold. I wish my, one of my children would say to me, I, ain't got no, I don't need to answer you. Ooh, y'all coming to a funeral. <laughs> ah, look at verse 17. They say, here's their confidence. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They answer the king's question from verse 15. He said, what God is there that will, able, will be able to deliver you out of my hands? And they say, our God. Their God is able, they say. They know without a doubt that their God has the power and the ability to save them from any situation. And beloved, that's the kind of faith and trust we must have in exile. We must have this rock-solid faith to withstand any trial and temptation. That's their confidence. Look now at their contentment. Verse 18, they say to the king, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Look, look, something, there's actually some tension here. Because first, they have complete confidence in God's ability to deliver them from the fiery furnace. However, they reveal to us that they have no clue if God is willing to deliver them from the fiery furnace. And here's the truth. That's the tension we all live in. As Christians, we know God is able, but the question is always, is, is he willing? What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego teach us is that we must be ready to accept God's will even when it's not in our favor. Was this not the very posture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane? As he's getting ready to go to the cross, he, he goes there and he prays in Gethsemane and he asks his father, he says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But then he immediately follows. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And that is the posture that we must take as children of God. Lord, I know you're able, but at the end of the day, your will be done. Some of you this morning are praying and have been praying for God to move in your life in various ways. You're praying because you know God is able. However, you don't know 
if God is willing. But these three Hebrew boys teach us that we must be content with whatever the Lord's will is. That's their confidence and their commitment. But in their, def- uh, in their confident- contentment, let's look at their commitment. They say, be it known, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Watch this. In the face of the most powerful man on the earth, they stand their ground and remain committed to the one true king. They remain faithful, loyal to their God even as they face the penalty of death. As I studied this story this week, I couldn't help but be drawn to Revelation chapter number two. In Revelation chapter two, Jesus says to the angel of the church in Smyrna that that he knows their tribulation and their poverty. He says, I know that you are even called by some the synagogue of Satan. And Jesus says to them, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Then these are the words that are apropos to our text. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, he says, But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. These three Hebrew boys here in Daniel 3 are stellar examples of what it looks like to be faithful unto death. And I must admit that this gripped my heart this week. I'm going to have a transparent moment. And I, 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 I had to ask myself, Brandon, do you have this kind of loyalty? See, I'm convinced that many Western Christians, we're not faithful unto death, we're faithful until death. In other words, our faithfulness faithfulness lasts up until the point until we have to face the penalty of death. And beloved, that's just simply what we are not called to. We are called to be faithful even if it costs us our lives. We must remember that the call to discipleship is a call to come and die. Jesus said it this way. He says, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. (laughs) These three Hebrew boys refuse to compromise their faith and their values. No matter the penalty, no matter the consequence, they are totally committed to God alone. So in this first section, we see Nebuchadnezzar asking the question, who is the God who will deliver us, to deliver you out of my hands? And then in this section of defiance, we see the three Hebrew boys being convinced that their God is able to deliver them from the burning fiery furnace. So we see this tension rising and mounting, and now the question is, (laughs) will they be delivered? Well, that's the final section here of Daniel chapter 3. Look with me now at the deliverance. 
as a result of their response, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bound in their full attire and thrown into this fiery furnace that had been heated up seven times hotter than normal. And see, this is, this is why you can't make decisions when you're angry. If you really wanted to hurt these boys, you would have cooled it seven times. Let, let, we're gonna, he he would have slow roasted these boys. But instead, he ended up seven times hotter and they just would have been incinerated immediately. So all of a sudden, though, something happens. These, these boys are thrown into this fiery furnace. But King Nebuchadnezzar, he's astonished. And verse 24 says, he rises up in haste and asks, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They said, true, O king. He answered, but I see four. Ooh, get your running shoes on. These four are unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt in their appearance, and the appearance of the force is like a son of the gods. Notice that they fell down into the furnace, and when they fell down into the furnace, they were bound. But then Nebuchadnezzar sees them now unbound and walking around the furnace. And there's not three men, but four men. Now, 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 you, you, you serious people. The question is, who was the fourth man? And we want to get into an argument and a debate about who the fourth man was. Traditionally, it has been said that it was the pre-incarnate Christ. Others say, no, it wasn't Christ. It was an angel. Here, 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 here is what I have to say about this. I'm not going to argue about who the fourth man was. I'm just glad he was in the fire with the boys. All I know is God sent somebody from heaven to protect these boys and deliver them out of this furnace. Here's your shout, and then we'll go home after we sing. We often miss the true miracle of the deliverance. Look at how God delivers them. Watch this. God doesn't deliver them from ever getting into the fire. He, delivered them, he delivers them in the fire. Okay, rewind. He doesn't keep them from the fire, but he gets into the fire with them. Oh, you miss your shouting cue. Because some of us have gotten into some trouble and some trials and you were mad because God didn't keep you from the trouble and the trial. But God wants you to know that he's not only the God who keeps you from trouble, but he'll get into the trouble with you. Woo! I'm about to shout myself out of here. That ain't the first time God did it. Come here, Noah. Did, did, did Noah, what, what happened when the, when, the, when the world was flooded? Well, he was surrounded by the water, but God kept him even in the midst of the water. Beloved, what we see here, what we see here, notice that the text says that, that these boys, they went inbound, but they came out unbound. Nebuchadnezzar even says when, he, when, when they came out, not a singe of their clothing or their hair was destroyed. The only thing that burned up in the fire was the very thing that had them bound. <laughs> Jesus 
Jesus burned up the ropes, whatever it was that had them bound, for their deliverance. And what we see here, church, in their deliverance is a wonderful picture of the gospel. Because of sin, come on, worship team, we too, one, because of sin, we face the wrath of a king. His wrath condemns everyone who rebels against his rule and his kingdom to an eternal fire. But Jesus came into the world, was crucified on an old rugged cross, was buried, but just like these three Hebrew boys didn't stay in the fire, Jesus did not stay in the grave. He came out of the grave. Sunday morning with all power in his hand. And just like these three Hebrew boys, after their fiery experience, experience, Jesus lives. He lives forevermore. And friend, if you are here today, hear the words of King Nebuchadnezzar. I'll let him preach right now. Here's what King Nebuchadnezzar says about our God. He says, there is no God who is able to rescue in this way. Beloved, there is no God who can save you like our God can save you. God has come to the rescue of the world by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sin of the world. So the response for somebody in the room is you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put all of your faith, your confidence, and trust in Christ and Christ alone because only Christ is able to save. For some of us here in this room today and via live stream, the response is we need to tear down some idols of convenience, comfort, and security. Idols of materialism. Idols of even this wonderful country. And by the way, I'm not anti-patriotism. We, we ought to love our country. We ought to have pride in our country. What I'm preaching about is nationalism. And that is idolatry. So for somebody, the response is tear down the idols. For somebody else, the question is, will you stand when Babylon demands your worship and your allegiance? Will you remain committed to God and God alone when the pressure is on? somebody else needs to know that God is able. That's, that's the phrase that keeps getting repeated over and over in our, in our text. Is God able? God is able. Somebody, I don't care what you're going through this morning, God's word to you this morning is, I'm able. There is nothing too hard for God. This pandemic, it, it's not too hard for God. 
I'm convinced that God is doing something. I think what he's doing mostly is refining and purifying his church in this pandemic. But God, all God has to do is speak a word and this virus has to and will have to disappear. He's able. Come on, worship team. I told y'all, come on. Listen, racism is not too hard for God. The root of racism is sin, and God has already defeated sin on the cross. God ain't the problem when it comes to racism, it's us. Ephesians 2 says that Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And the problem is that we keep erecting those walls. Stand to your feet. In response to this word, we're going to sing to one another, God is able. That is what's going to propel us forward through the rest of this week, through the coming days when trial and temptation comes. We need to know God is able. Let's sing.